please stand for the reading of the word. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water, and when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed him, followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, he called the bridge room over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. How are y'all this morning? Good. It's already been an awesome time together as we get to worship and praise. Um, and I just love the new song. It's just exciting. So uh, I am Katie. I am uh, the executive pastor here at Hope City Church. And um, just a little bit about what that means. I oversee all the operations in the church from ministries uh, to facilities, any of that um, that you see. But I also occasionally, Pastor Jason asks me to speak, so here I am this morning. So um, I'm excited to be here. I have loved our summer together so far, this beautiful weather, all the exciting things we've done around here, and just God is just doing something special in Hope City Church in this season, and I'm just honored to be a part of that, and I'm thankful that we get to do it together. But um, I was reading in the book of John the, a few months ago. Actually, it was one of the students, one of the interns, and I were reading this book, and um, I was reading this passage. I've read it several times before, but something stood out to me as I was reading it, and I wanted to bring it to y'all's attention today. Um, Keegan just read it for us. It's in the last verse, verse 11. It says, the miraculous sign in Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, the reason it stood out to me is because it seemed odd that it wasn't, it didn't say then random people attending the wedding believed in him. It says that this is when the disciples Jesus revealed himself to the disciples, and they believed in him. Because I had made the assumption that the disciples already believed in him. Because to be a disciple, it meant that they left everything. They were following him. They left their families behind. And they were 100% sure. I thought that they were 100% sure that he was the Messiah. In order to be a disciple, to follow him wherever he was going, to attend this wedding, I thought that they would have already had put their faith in him, other translations say. Other translations say it's in this moment that the disciples believe in him and put their faith in him. But I had assumed that that already happened. I had assumed that in order to follow Jesus, they had to be sure. See, I have to be sure about a lot of things before I do something, right? Like I have to be sure about a restaurant before I'll actually go. I read the reviews. I check the menu. You know, I ask my friends. I go at least twice before I tell you it's awesome, right? Like the disciples are already telling people, come with me, but they haven't even had a moment where they believed in him. 
I have to be sure before I buy something on Amazon. Like, it's got to have at least 2,000 reviews and, like, four stars before I'm actually going to spend $20 on something, right? So I feel like I have to be sure about things. And in this moment when I read this, I thought the disciples weren't even really sure yet. Yeah, they were told that he was the Messiah. Yeah, they believed that he might be. But it isn't until this moment in this passage where Jesus' first miracle, he reveals himself to them and they believe in him or they have faith in him. And we make a lot of assumptions about things sometimes, right? Like I assumed this about the disciples, that they already were 100% sure, right? We make assumptions about people, about where they are in their faith, and it can be very detrimental to us. We assume that the pastors don't have doubts. We assume that the person, you know, down here worshiping and praising must love Jesus and not struggle with uncertainty about it. We make assumptions about people's lives based on what they you know, we see on their social media, we make assumptions about, you know, how well they're doing based on what cars they drive. And it can be harmful to our faith when we assume that people are further along. We feel like we might be falling behind or it might be feel, feel like, feel bad that we aren't 100% sure or feel bad that we have doubts or we feel bad that we haven't had a moment where we put our faith in Jesus and we aren't sure. So we, we hide a lot of times. We end up feeling shameful because we, don't, we aren't further along and we don't tell people that we're struggling. We just come to church and, you know, if we're being honest, we're really just here because we think it's the right thing to do. And we feel bad about that, but we don't tell anybody. Or we feel like it's a good thing for my kids and I'm just here for that, but I haven't had a moment where I believed in Jesus. But we're exactly where the disciples were following, hanging around, lacking that moment where Jesus reveals himself to us and we're able to believe in him, put our faith in him. It causes us, shame will keep us bound in embarrassment and hiding, not just at our home, but hiding in plain sight, hiding in the church, unable to be honest with where we are in our faith. But if you keep reading in this chapter, in chapter at the end of chapter 2, the, G, the disciples go from hanging around with him, and they have a moment where they believe in him. And in the end of chapter 2, it says in verse 23, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. Because that's what he wants ultimately, is for us to trust in him. Us to trust in him with our entire lives. Not just trust him, but trust in him. What does that mean? To trust in something means that you have a strong belief of the goodness or ability of someone or something. Jesus wants us to get to a place where we have a strong belief in his goodness and ability. A strong belief in that. But instead, a lot of us are just hanging around, associating with Jesus for the same reasons that they did in the Bible. Back in the day, people hung around Jesus for certain reasons and the same things we do too. You know, people enjoy crowds, right? People like being around crowds, being around things that are happening. It's exciting. That's why people are around Jesus. That's why we hang around too sometimes. People, um, it, people were around him because of his miracles, because of the things that he did. They saw the things that he was doing and thought maybe he could do that for me too, Right? 
just hanging around. People were hanging around him because sometimes because they felt guilty. They're like, oh, if I just hang around, or maybe that's why we're here today. Sometimes we feel guilty for the things that we've done. We feel like we have to be here to make it up to God in some way, shape, or form. But Jesus doesn't want us just to hang around and associate with him. He doesn't want us to just live on someone else's faith and just be here because we have to. He wants our entire lives committed to him, to trust in him, to believe in him. With everything, with our finances, with our future, with our kids' future, to trust that he is for us. The creator of heaven and earth is for us. To trust that no matter what we face, he is in control. To trust in all of that. But be encouraged. You might be exactly where the disciples were. Here, following, not quite understanding, not 100% sure. Because we make the assumptions that everyone in the room is 100% sure except ourselves. But that's not true. We all wrestle. We all struggle with doubt. We're all not always there. But what we're gonna, what we read today, what Keegan read for us today, is that there was a moment where Jesus reveals Himself, reveals His glory. It says, and the disciples believed in Him because of that. And that can happen for us too. That has happened for some of us too. Galatians four six says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. The Holy Spirit comes in and reveals himself so that we can call out Abba, Father, and believe in him and ultimately trust in him. But this story is just a beautiful story that reveals the essence of who Jesus is, the essence of who he is and why he is worthy of us going all in, why he is worthy of us trusting in him. See, as many of you know, this is Jesus' first miracle. The first time that he is revealing something, he's revealing that he is the Savior, he is the Messiah. But Jesus could have done any miracle to reveal himself, right? He could have done anything. He did do a lot of other miracles. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He fed 5,000 with like two loaves of bread and some fish. Like why was this one his first? Why did he choose to reveal himself this way. The truth is, is because it shows what, what Jesus came to do and what kind of person he is. See, back then, weddings weren't like they are now, that, um, you know, in your 20s, they're like every other weekend in June, right? That's what you spend most of your time doing when you're about 20, 25 years old. Every other weekend, those are the weddings. Weddings back then were once, one, maybe two a year, and they were a long celebration, and the entire region is there. And when the wine runs out, the joy runs out, the feast is over. And so there is a joy shortage about to happen at this wedding. And no one really actually knows, I mean, who miscalculated what wedding planner accidentally didn't order enough wine or what that was all about. But we know that there is a joy shortage. But there's a joy shortage here too, right? If you've lived long enough, you know that the things run out. The things that you thought were going to bring you joy eventually disappoint. The honeymoon season ends. You thought it was going to 
There is something beautiful about being married, but you thought it was going to fulfill all the things in your life and bring you so much joy that you would never need anything else. But the reality is that joy runs out for things of this world. Joy runs out. The the job that you thought was going to be the dream job, a few months in, it's not as awesome as you thought it was. Jesus is the joy that we are looking for. And that's why Mary goes to him. See, the bridegroom is about to experience so much shame because the joy of the feast is about to run out. And Jesus is protecting him from that. Jesus ends up showing us that he turns our shame into joy. He turns the shame into joy. See, Mary goes to Jesus and is like, they're about to run out of wine. And Jesus is like, what does he say? Let me read this exact phrase that he says because it's, he's like, woman, that's not my problem. <laughs> he's like, but what he says is, dear woman, that's not my problem. My time has not yet come. Other translations say, my hour has not yet come. And any time that Jesus talks about his hour, what he's talking about is when he goes to the cross. So what he is realizing is that this situation is a metaphor for what he came to do, which was pay the price with his blood for our sins, to turn our shame into joy. But Mary doesn't look at him and say, oh, my goodness, my son, again, won't do what I ask him to do. No, she says, he is the hope we need. Do everything he says. Anything he says, you do it because I can't explain it, but I know that he is everything that we need. And so Jesus tells them to fill the ceremonial jars. And the wine that is created is better than any wine they've ever tasted before. The host is like amazed. Like, why did we save this for last? Because Jesus is able to to turn it into joy. Joy, Jesus is showing us that he is in the business of joy. He is in the business of turning your shame into joy, my shame into joy. He is in the business of everlasting joy. But I'll never forget, like when I was 20 years old and I first came to Hope City, I wasn't completely convinced that Jesus was in the business of joy. See, I had all these misconceptions that Following Jesus was actually going to take me away from some things that I thought were going to bring me joy. You've been there too, where you feel like the things that Jesus is asking you to remove or following him or going all in and trusting in him would mean that you'd have to give up things that you think are going to bring you joy. You question, really? Is Jesus really in the business of joy? But just like the disciples in this moment, my eyes were open to reveal that he is who he says he is and that we can trust in him. We can trust in him because he's the Lord of the feast and the celebration. He is the everlasting joy that we are searching for because he turns our shame, the shame that you feel from your past mistakes, he turns that into joy. The shame that you feel every time you have to face a consequence of something that you did He turns that into joy. The shame that you feel because of something that happened to you, he turned that into joy. And that's what he does in this moment when he turns water into wine, and he can turn water into wine in your life too. 
you get to a place where you finally understand what Paul is talking about when he says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You don't have to condemn yourself for the things that you've done anymore because Jesus has taken the penalty for that and has turned it into everlasting joy. Because when Jesus sees you, when God looks at you, he no longer sees your mistakes. He no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees the sins that you will happen in the future. He sees Jesus' perfect body broken for you. Because Jesus is in the business of joy. And I'm not talking about like, let's just all be joyful like the joy character on Inside Out. Anybody have kids? Watch Inside Out. Love that movie. It's amazing. Sadness is my favorite. But um, she's hilarious. But the thing is, is like we can get it kind of mixed up where we think that like, okay, I'm not allowed to be sad. I got to be joyful all the time. Like, like joy on Inside Out. I'm not talking about that kind of joy. I'm talking about the joy that comes no matter even if you face something sad. Even if you face troubles, you're able to find joy. The kind of joy in, uh, that James talks about says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind find, or any kind, any time, kind fi- come find us. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's the joy I'm talking about. The joy where John, in John 16, it says, So you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that. No one can take away that kind of joy. No one can take that away because Jesus has paid the price for that. Jesus is the wine. Jesus is the joy. And so some of us, it's about being like the disciples, You're hanging around and you have yet to have that moment where Jesus revealed himself for you to understand that he wants to turn your shame into joy. And for others of us, it's almost like we've lost our joy. It's almost like, yeah, that happened. I had that moment. But as I've been following Jesus all this time, it just feels like a grind and I'm just here and I'm still struggling. There's still things going on. And my prayer for you it's from Psalm 51, 12. It says, restore me, restore me to the joy of your salvation. Restore me, Lord, to the joy of your salvation. It's time that we begin to trust in him. He can turn water into wine in your life too. Trust in him. That even when you're not sure, even when you have doubts, he can show up in the middle of where you are and reveal his glory and open your eyes to see that he is good and that he is worth trusting in, trusting with your future, trusting with your family, all of that. But what do we do? We want to follow Jesus. Say you're like the disciples and you're like, I'm here, I'm hanging around, I'm ready. I want to have that moment and experience I want to be able to trust in him, to believe that he is for me, that the creator of heaven and earth is in control. Eugene Peterson says, The way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and questionings, in the pauses, reflections, 
where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with him. It cannot be mapped, but we can be active participants. We can be like the disciples in this story. We can be like them in the things that I see them do and the things that we can do so that we can get to a place where we are able to see many miraculous signs and trust in him. And what did the disciples do? They were in the right places. They had the right posture, and they had the right perspective. They were in the right places. They had the right posture, and they had the right perspective. The chapter before this, John chapter 1, this is when Jesus' disciples start following him. In verse 35, it says, The following day, John was again standing with two of, the, two of his disciples. So John the Baptist standing there with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked back, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked. They replied, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. See, the disciples knew that they had to be in the right place. They needed to be around Jesus. I am not saying that you will not experience Jesus outside of the church. You will have moments outside of here. But when you're surrounded by people of faith, when you're in the right place, you're able to see God's goodness in a way that you've never seen before. You're able to see miracles. And miracles, another word for miracles is a sign, a sign, a message that points to how good God is. And the disciples, Jesus says, come and see. So he is inviting you to just come and see. Be in the right place. Be around the people of faith. And your faith will be lifted. It's not an accident you're here today. Because you're in the right place. And for me, as I'm looking around, it means that you're doing something right. You want Jesus to be a part of your life. So you want to be in the right place the way the disciples were. The second thing you want is you want to have the right posture. Jesus says he looked around and he asked them, what do you want? And their response is super interesting. They say, where are you staying? But what they're really saying is we want to go with you. We want to receive something from you. We want to learn from you. Our teacher told us who you are, and we want that. That's the posture you have to take on. That's like, I want Jesus to show up in my life. I want Jesus to do something miraculous in my life. The disciples took a posture that said, wherever you go, I want to be there. I want you to open my eyes and help me see that you are what I've been searching for my entire life. That's the posture we need to take when we want Jesus to show up and reveal himself to us, we want to say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. We want to say, Jesus, show up in this situation for me. Take on a posture that says, I am ready to receive what you have for me, Lord. So we have to be in the right places, and we have to have the right posture. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, but the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. So our posture has to be open. Turn to the Lord with an open heart, the way the disciples did. And the veil will be torn and you'll be able to see things through spiritual eyes. Your eyes will be open. 
to what God is doing around you. And the third thing you have to do is have a good, have the right perspective. Have a right, the right perspective. We read at the end of chapter two, it said that many miracles that they witnessed, they began to trust in him. The perspective is, is that you have to throw away the idea of what a miracle is. People, yes, God does mighty miracles, healing, but every day is a miracle. Every moment is a miracle. The fact that you're here right now is a miracle. The fact that God provided the job that you have is a miracle. Was it Einstein that says, like, either you think everything's a miracle or nothing is? The reality is, is that we can get to a place where we look back and we see God's faithfulness over and over and over and over again in the miracles that he has showed up in our lives. And that is when we begin to trust in him. If we change our perspective, if we change our perspective that says, I ask God to close doors in my life, and he does. And it might be a door that he didn't know was going to close, but that's a miracle. God is faithful. You're able to trust God in the big things because you trusted him in the things that are smaller before. You look back and you see where he's been faithful. The disciples were able to have the right perspective as they looked around and they saw where Jesus was faithful. If you look around and see where he has been faithful. And this is a journey that I want us to take together. To stop hanging around and associating with faith and being able to say, you know what, I have doubts. I'm not even 100% sure. But I'm ready for Jesus to reveal his glory, to turn water into wine in my life, to turn my shame into joy. Because I'm going to be in the right place. Congratulations, we're here, so that's good. We're on the starting point together. I'm going to choose to be around the right people in the right places to see God's glory and God's goodness I want to have a posture that's open to him, a posture that's seeking, a posture that says, I want to go where he goes. I want to learn from him. And a perspective that says that he has been faithful. One of the songs we sing around here is uh, Goodness of God, and it says, all my life you have been faithful. Even when you were far from him, he was faithful. He was never far from you. And when you begin to realize that, you get to a place where you can say, I believe in him and I trust in him. I trust in him because he brought me here. I trust in him because he has never let me down. What would happen if we all decided that we're going to go beyond just associating with Jesus or just associating with faith and say, I am going to believe in him and trust in him with our entire lives, to give him control in every situation, to earnestly seek him and see things with spiritual eyes. We're on this journey together because Jesus is the one. He is the joy. He is the joy and he is the one who shed his blood for us. Jesus refers to wine as his blood at the Last Supper. And it's, he paid the price so that we can have joy, so that our shame is taken away. That is why he shed his blood. 
That is why he went to the cross and his body was broken. That is why we take communion each and every week to be reminded of how good he is. That even when we were once sinners, even when he died for us, knowing that we were never going to be able to be perfect, knowing that we were going to sin, knowing all of that, he went to the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed. And now when God looks at you and he looks at me, he no longer sees the things that we've done and the shame and the mistakes and the sins. Instead, he sees Jesus' perfect life because we are covered by his blood. Jesus is the joy, the everlasting joy. He is worth going all in for. He is worth following and trusting and being a disciple. He doesn't just want it, he doesn't even just want fans. He wants followers that believe in him and trust in him because what he has for your life is better than you could ever imagine. Because he is in the business of joy. You don't have to feel shame anymore. Because you have a Savior that paid the price for all of your sin. He lived a perfect life and went to the cross and shed his blood so that we can have life here on this earth, abundant life here on this earth, and eternal life with him. Maybe, just maybe, today, you realize that you don't have to have all the answers. You can have doubts, you can wrestle but you can begin to follow him and trust and believe that he is in the business of joy. That he is what you've been searching for your entire life. A relationship with him. In Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9, it says, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all of your tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against the land of the people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to be certain, that we don't have to be 100% sure, but instead you show up even when we aren't looking and reveal your essence, that you are turning our shame into joy. You can turn our shame into joy in every situation. God, help us to believe in that. God, help us to believe that you are for us. God, help us to believe in the moments where we feel doubt or fear or frustration, God, that you are going to turn the things that we're facing into joy. God, your word says that you will fulfill the good things in us that you started long ago. God, we hold on to that. God, I pray for those in the room that are struggling to trust in you. God, I pray that you just speak to them now the way that you know how to do in a personal way, God, and help them to see you 
to feel your presence, God, to know that you are for them, Lord, to surrender control over to you, the things that they're facing, the things that they're fearful about, whether it's family or jobs or relationships. God, I pray that they release that over to you and trust in you and believe that you can turn all of that into joy, that you can show up in their life and turn water into wine because you are the joy that we are searching for in this world. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen, we wanna invite you to stand to your feet with us and we're gonna go into another.